0: They were the best football team throughout the entire season, so it motivates you to, in order to, to win the Super Bowl, you got to beat the best teams, and this is the best team that we, that we've played so far this year, and it'll be a great challenge for us. I believe it's just two 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 greats, um, up and coming greats, just going toe to toe, you know, like a heavyweight fight, heavyweight matchup. That's that's just what I see.
1: The last year's last year, that was a, its own game. Um, it wasn't, it hasn't been anything that has bled into this year, or this game, and. Um, You know, this is the 49ers against the Lions now.
0: This is the times you dream of as a kid, and you grow up, you know, hoping to be in these final games, and um, we're one win away from, you know, our ultimate goal of getting to the Super Bowl and, and winning that game as well.
1: All right, here we go. Two days before Conference Championship Sunday, the Final Four has been locked in. Since last Sunday, Peter King and I locked in for the next two hours. We cannot move. We're not allowed to move. We're not allowed to leave. We're here to talk about football and whatever else we might talk about, although this is one of those days where there's nothing else to talk about but football. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited. Culmination of the season is upon us. Three games left and the Pro Bowl games. Can't forget about the Pro Bowl games. Can't miss the Pro Bowl games don't care about the program yes we can i do care and i will and i do it every year (laughs) but they have tug of war peter not just tug of war tug o war how can you not respect a good tug o war there's always a chance one of the guys is going to strain so hard he might poop his pants yeah the
0: uh... Anything associated with the Pro Bowl is not for me. But uh, anyway, have a good day. I hope everybody enjoys it. Yes. I hope they get wonderful TV ratings for something that is a nothing. But anyway, uh, I shall. It works out out to be. It works. It works. My
1: lawn in Detroit. It's a perfect travel day. If you're heading to the Super Bowl location for the week, the Sunday of the Pro Bowl games, the best day to travel, then you have an excuse to pay no attention to it whatsoever. Give me one big thought that you have. We're going to talk later about the conference championship games, both of them. Give me a big thought you have going into the weekend.
0: I think these are two very good and very unpredictable games. Okay, so over the last, you know, three months, I have seen both, all four of these teams. And over the last, two weeks I've seen three of the four all except the 49ers and one of the things that I like about this weekend Mike is that I have no idea who the final two are going to be looking at this final four and I'll tell you why because I think first of all Baltimore is favored rightfully so they're the one seed They have a great defense, totally shut down uh, Houston's uh, growing, powerful offense. Zero touchdowns against the Houston Texans. That is a really good accomplishment based on what we've seen there. So everybody says, well, geez, this is Mahomes. He's different. Not going to be easy for Patrick Mahomes. So that's one thing. And Lamar Jackson on the other side. So you think, man, it really looks like Baltimore's game. Well... You know, bet against the Kansas City faithful at your own peril. And then the other game, I wish that I could say that I felt great about either team in this game, but quite honestly, I don't. I probably feel a little bit better about Detroit because of how they've played recently. But now, Detroit goes outside. It's going to be a beautiful day, evidently, so that probably won't matter. But Detroit goes outside... And they go on the road away from the womb of Ford Field, which is one of the great home fields I've ever seen in the 40 years that I've covered the NFL. And they go away from Ford Field to play a team that is absolutely stacked, that appears it's going to have Debo Samuel back in pretty good health. So you see that. But there's just a little something about the 49ers that you don't really know right now. They haven't played great recently. They didn't play great last weekend until the last drive of the game. And again, look, I think the Packers are a rising power. All hail Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur for putting another really good team together without even pausing post-Aaron Rodgers. But, But... You just really haven't seen the consistent steamroller that you saw a lot of times last year and earlier this year with the 49ers. So that's why, Mike, I think it's the greatest kind of championship Sunday because we don't know what's going to happen. There isn't a 12-point favorite and a walkover game. There's no walkovers this week. There's two potentially great football games. That's what I like about this weekend.
1: And that's why I'm surprised, frankly, that not that you, or I gamble or pay particular attention to it or frankly believe anybody should spend any money other than what they would otherwise devote to cigarettes and whiskey on gambling. But the idea that the 49ers are favored by seven is a little surprising to me because, it feels more like a coin flip. It's a game that you could easily see go either way, same as the a f c game where the the spread is half of seven. It's three and a half for Baltimore, so that really does surprise me because it doesn't feel inevitable. We're so used to conference championship games that feel inevitable that when there is an upset, it's a really big deal. It's lightning striking a milk bottle because it just doesn't happen. There's a team of destiny in each conference that we just know is going to roll over whoever the opponent may be. And yeah, this time around there's no rolling over to be done. And that's one of the things that I love about this game. I mean, two
0: weeks ago now, 12 days ago after the game, I stood with Dan Campbell for, I don't know, six or eight minutes after the game, talked to him a little bit. And I talked to him about going back in time, about the bite the kneecap speech. And when he looks back at it now, I kind of asked him a little, in very polite ways, you know, anything about that speech you want to take back? Absolutely not. Absolutely nothing. And he made the point to me, Mike, that Detroit really needed a jolt. And he's absolutely right. And I believe that not only did Detroit need that jolt, but Detroit also needed a jolt of great players. And that's why I think the marriage of Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes has been spectacular. Because Brad Holmes has done such a good job in the three years that he is run this team, that he has been the architect of this team, starting with Panay Sewell in the first round, then going to Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, his getting Amon Ross St. Brown with the whatever it was, 114th pick. and And so all I'm saying is that every team in this derby this weekend has a great story to tell, and I'm telling you, Mike, I can see any one of these four teams, any one holding the Lombardi
1: in 16 days. And apparently those who do wager their cigarette and whiskey money on football disagree with our assessment because the line has moved in the favor of the favorites. The Ravens now minus four, according to DraftKings, and the 49ers up to minus 7.5. We'll talk more about both games Coming up, we still have other business to get to because the NFL has yet to take Peter's advice and delay all coach interviews and hires until after the Super Bowl. We have the confluence still lingering of bad teams hiring new coaches as the great teams get ready to try to qualify for the Super Bowl. The latest one, and surprising in various ways, a return by Raheem Morris, who was the interim coach to wrap up the 2020 season didn't get the job when it went to Arthur Smith, now gets the job three years later and takes over at a time when a lot of the people that you would talk to in league circles had Bill Belichick penciled in for the Falcons job. It instead goes to Raheem Morris, who comes back to Atlanta, teams up with GM Terry Fontenot, and tries to turn a team that has just kind of been there for the past few years into a team we're talking about on a Friday like this because they're getting ready to play in the conference championship game.
0: I think a lot of people probably wonder who don't know Raheem Morris. Probably wonder and they think why would you take a guy who had a decent run as defensive coordinator of the of the Rams? But he, they didn't have a powerhouse on defense. And and why would you take a guy who, you know, is now getting a second chance after a real after a failure in Tampa Bay and and all that? Why, what are you doing? And the only thing I would say to those people, and again, everybody is entitled to their opinion, Raheem Morris, I'm I don't m I do not do not want to be a cliche fest right now. But Raheem Morris is the definition of a leader of men. When you have powerful guys over the years, and I mean powerful, strong players, like Julio Jones, like Aaron Donald, uh, like Jalen Ramsey, and, and then all the young players he has brought along. Ask, ask Ernest Jones, who's a rising star linebacker with the Rams. What do you owe your success to early in in your career? All of these people, or many of them, I think, are going to say that Raheem Morris is the best coach I ever played for. Now, that that's that's lofty praise. It really is. However, the reason that they do that is when you walk in the door, like to the Rams, the Falcons will find this out. They already knew it because when he left there four-plus years ago, uh, the— the, the players there really did not want to see him go, even though he, I mean, who's good in an interim way? I mean, not a lot of guys are very good as interim coaches for a lot of reasons. But I just think, Mike, over the years, as I've gone around the league and I've watched coaches, watched teams talk to people, Raheem Morris is in the top five of people I've ever covered who players A, love to play for, B, respond to. And this is not even remotely a surprise to me.
1: Well, it's only a surprise because mainstream <coughs> thought did not line up with what you believe, with what I believe, what we've been hearing all these years. I think the problem was he got his first shot too young. 32 out of the blue. They yes, fired John that's correct, and Bruce Allen. And then... Out of the blue, it's Raheem Morris, who no one had heard of, at least on a widespread basis. Mark Dominic takes over as GM. Three years later, he's out. But when you look at the depth of experience he's got, it's almost like a, a special teams coordinator. You know, you hear the argument from time to time, special teams coordinators should be considered more frequently to be head coaches because they know how to deal with both sides of the ball. Raheem Morris, over the past 11, 12 years, has worked on both sides of the ball. He's been an offensive yes. coach. He's been a defensive coach. And it it feels overdue for his ship to come back in, but he's still only 47. At the time, we're talking about coaches, a couple of them in their 70s still may be looking for opportunities. 47 is spring chicken. So this is a great opportunity for Raheem Morris and a chance for him to show everything he's learned during this extended period of gathering himself, For his second option and what he did in 2023 with that Rams defense after they trade Jalen Ramsey, after they strip it down to nothing except for Aaron Donald, who isn't the Aaron Donald he was a couple of years ago. That is impressive, too. I heard a story a couple of weeks ago when Raheem Morris first landed on my radar screen as possibly getting that Falcons job. Another coach in the NFL remarked that Raheem is screwed this year by what the Rams have done to that defense. This was back before the season started which makes what he did with that defense even more impressive. The idea, how's he going to position himself for head coaching consideration with these players? And he did.
0: Mike, I had a, uh, a very prominent coaching agent say to me about a week ago, you know, we were talking about all the openings. He's a plugged in guy and and we were talking about it. And he said to me, he goes, man, you can really tell the Rams want to get rid of Raheem Morris. I said, what? And he said, just listen to him. He said, you know, listen to Les Snead at his postseason press conference, uh, spend three minutes talking about Raheem Morris and what a great man he is and what a great head coach he would be for somebody. Listen to Kevin Demoff on the Peter Schrager podcast. Talk about what a great man, what a great coach he is, and he deserves to get a head coaching job. And Mike, you know it. You know that your your antennae go up when you hear so many people talk in such a lofty fashion about one of the assistant coaches on a team. You know what immediately you think of? I'm going to tell you what I think of. They want to get rid of the guy. And I said, no, no, I'm telling you, this is different. They'll be heartbroken if Raheem Morris leaves. I'm telling you, I know it. However, they love Raheem Morris. And they want him to advance in his career, even at the detriment of their own team. They don't want to hold him there. And 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 that is what I became convinced of, because... So many people in the business, you hear everybody talk great about one coach on the team, and and immediately the thought goes to your mind, they want to dump this guy on somebody else. And and that is what is different about
1: Raheem Morris, in my opinion. The other cynical viewpoint, which I heard from multiple different people after Les Snead said what he said publicly on Friday of last week, is that the Rams want the two third-round picks that they will get under the tweak to the hiring protocol that rewards a team for grooming and positioning and promoting a minority candidate to become a head coach or a general manager. Now, look, there are people out there that don't like that rule. I look at it and say the NFL has had a horrible, horrible track record, beyond horrible track record when it comes to a collection of head coaches that represents the demographics of the players' pool for decades, and we know it. When Brian Flores filed his class action racial discrimination lawsuit, February 1 of 2022, Troy Vincent, the executive VP of football operations, came out and admitted, admitted how bad it's been. So any effort to make it better, no matter how imperfect that effort may be, no matter what incentives it might create, whatever it might do, as long as they're trying to clean up this mess that has been lingering in plain sight for years and years and years, it's fine. That's fine. If that's the motivation, if they want two third round picks, I don't care because the NFL desperately needed to make it better. And look at this hiring cycle. The NFL has found a way to make it better. And by the way, Mike, this will
0: be the first time since 2015 that the Los Angeles Rams have had both a first round pick and four picks in the top three rounds. And that is, is meaningful also, and obviously the last pick, I think it'll be pick number 101 or 102 uh, right at the end of the third round as compensation, half the compensation, uh, for losing Raheem Morris. Uh, the, The reason why that is significant is that we're in a new era of Rams football, and probably we can look at it and say, okay, either... You know, Aaron Donald or Matthew Stafford or both a year from now may retire or, or, or with, sometime within the next two years. The Rams have to build a young team. And so whether or not the Rams privately are popping a champagne cork because they're getting two threes, two low threes, basically, they're, they're the equivalent of high fours uh whether they're not getting to they're getting two mid-round draft choices you know to me i think that's that's nice it's nice but i'm just telling you they they were not politicking to get raheem
1: morris out of their building and the big surprise embedded in the news that raheem morris will get the job and by the way look over yeah. the weekend when i was trying to shake the the trees to get a nugget that I could use on the pregame show before Bucks at Lions. I was poking around this idea that there was a sense of inevitability that Bill Belichick would get the head coaching job in Atlanta, and I was told he's not the front runner. There is no front runner. We can't even sit down until tomorrow, Monday of this week, with candidates currently under contract with other teams. We are still interviewing, we are still talking, we are still searching. They ultimately interviewed. 14 different people. There was a sense right out of the gates that Belichick was the favorite, but that changed. And ultimately, it's not Belichick. And Peter, when you look at the options that are out there at this point, there's only two jobs left, Seahawks and commanders. Bill Belichick is likely to be somewhere other than coaching in 2024, which won't make it any easier to get back in in 2025, as he's one year deeper into his 70s. That's the stunner of stunners that one of the great coaches of all time I in any so. sport is available to anyone who wants him with seven jobs open, other than the job he wasn't going to go back to in New England, but seven jobs open, one team interviewed him. One. Now, I think others, I know others were contemplating it and may still be. There may still be a team that doesn't have a vacancy. I was told over the weekend at least one team without a vacancy, pondering what it would mean to make a play for Belichick. But to get one team to interview him with all these vacancies, that to me is astounding. And I have theories on it. I welcome your thoughts on why we've gotten to this point where one of the great coaches of all time in any sport, in the history of sport, is relatively and for now completely ignored in the hiring cycle. But that, that's the headline of the offseason so far. Bill Belichick available, and not only are they not lining up at the door to get him, they're not even standing in the doorway. There's nobody there. There was one there, and they left.
0: Mike, there are two headlines, and we could talk about this. I'm serious. We could talk about this for the next 45 minutes. Easy. But there's two headlines. One, obviously, is Belichick, and I'll give you my thoughts on him. But the second one is that there are two jobs left. And arguably, and it, you you could you you can at least argue that the two premium offensive coordinators on the market, Bobby Slowick, Ben Johnson, don't have jobs. Mike McDonald, probably the premier defensive coordinator on the market, is still out there. And Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel are still out there. I mean, what are the odds, Mike, that at the start of this process, at the start of this process, that you would have said, and and it's clearly possible now, that Ben Johnson, Bill Belichick, and Mike Vrabel would not be head coaches in the NFL. That's utterly, absolutely shocking. But anyway, let me tell you what I think about Belichick. I think there are three things at play here. Number one, you know, the man turned 72 in April. And although he looks like he's 72 going on 62, and if you look at the old films and you see George Halas, who last who coached his last season at 72, he looked like he was 82. So, you know, that is a difference that has happened in our society now. People simply take better care of themselves. And although you don't think of Bill Belichick as Jack LaLanne, Bill Belichick is obviously a decent chief from 72 years old. Okay? Now, there's going to be a bunch of people who have no idea who Jack LaLanne is. Go <laughs> who to the Wikipedia hell is Jack kids. LaLanne? Yeah. Or, or by the way, as one of my daughters once said, Dad, who is this Jack LaLani? Uh But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so whatever. But so you are talking about hiring a person who's going to coach opening day next year at 72 and a half years old. And do you want to cast your lot with a guy, no matter how great he looks now, who knows what he's going to look like in three years? That's one thing. Second thing is, and this was put to me by somebody in the league who I greatly respect, and he goes, you know what I think is standing in the way of Bill Belichick getting a job? That all of these teams over the last five, five, six, eight years, you see it every year, teams adding what they call football analysts. And you know what they are? They're analytics people. And there's now competition for the best ones. Eric DaCosta of the Ravens has told me a story about, you know, going to Carnegie Mellon and to Wharton and and to some of the best uh, schools in the country you know, with the best math minds in the country because he wants to see if there's somebody out there who might have some good ideas about football analytics. So you've got all that. And who is the guy who, and Bill Belichick is not a dinosaur, but who is one head coach who really hasn't embraced analytics? And that's Bill Belichick. Okay, so suppose you have a staff of 10 people as football analysts or eight or six or 14, what do you do when Bill Belichick walks in? Okay, you guys, you you just you know you sit over there and wait for three years until the next head coach is hired. Is it, that, to some people, is going to be a non-starter. And again, I don't know if that affected the Falcons' decision at all. <clears throat> but the third thing is, and I think it all has to do with the way he ran the Patriots. In, I'll give you an A and a B here. A. Does he want full power? And as Robert Kraft said at the press conference after he and Belichick parted ways, uh, is is Bill Belichick going to be okay, even if he doesn't run the draft, with not running the draft? Or is he going to sidle up to John Doe, the general manager, and say, don't you dare take John Doe he, you know, over here, this guy, I want, I want this guy. I mean, these are things he's been doing it his own way for a quarter century. And he won six Super Bowls. So he's not maybe inclined to just sit back and say, okay, I'll let Terry Fontenot run the draft. And then there's kind of a part B there. And that is, who's Bill Belichick's going to bring for his staff? Okay, we all could think, and I think, he would have brought Josh McDaniels to coach the quarterback, okay? And that would be, I think, a very, very good hire. you joke around whatever you want about Josh McDaniels, but ask Tom Brady what he thinks about Josh McDaniels. Loved him. Loved his imagination. Loved the way he installed. Loved his coaching techniques. So I, he'd be a very good coach of the quarterbacks. But tell me, who else you hiring? He you bringing in Matt Patricia to be his defensive coordinator? Has there been a coach more tarnished over the last few years than Matt Patricia? And then where are all these assistant coaches? He had had famously a small coaching staff. There's probably going to be a lot of guys who line up to say, I want to coach with the great and powerful Oz. But who, who really, who knows how good they would be working with Bill Belichick in basically maybe not a brand new coaching staff but a lot of it would certainly be new those are a few
1: thoughts I had excellent thoughts and I have a few points I want to make I'm going to start at the beginning and work my way through first of all Ben Johnson the Lions offensive coordinator is still firmly in play for the commander's job and there's a thought that he's the guy that Adam Peters the new GM has wanted from the start whether or not that comes to fruition We shall see. But Johnson, very viable for that commander's job. I would say he's still regarded by many in league circles as the favorite. But let's see. If you have to wait until after the Super Bowl to get him, maybe you don't. Secondly, you mentioned Carnegie Mellon, and it does have a great reputation until people realize I went there that tends to tarnish the reputation of CMU just a uh-huh. bit. Third, I love the analytics point. I love the analytics point because all these teams do have robust analytics department led by someone who is constantly in the ear of ownership. You can't just unplug the analytics group for multiple years while Bill Belichick is the head coach and harumphing and otherwise ignoring everything that they tell him. The point about Kraft, I thought of this yesterday. Kraft said two weeks ago, and a day, that the idea of allowing Belichick to stay as the coach with reduced power didn't make sense because it would be confusing. You've got a guy who ran the show for all these years, and now you have somebody else running the show. It just doesn't work. That confusion is transferable to a new team, just like you said. Think about Belichick's demeanor. Think about how he communicates. Think about how gruff he is. You get yourself into an organization where there's someone In his 30s or early 40s, who's the GM, who ostensibly has power over the draft, over free agency, over the roster, and Bill doesn't like which way it's going, he's going to gruffly and very directly and pointedly let it be known he doesn't want that guy. And, Peter, it ultimately tracks back to one of the first lessons I learned in football organization dysfunction some 20 years ago. I think it was going on with the Jets, where you've got a head coach and you've got a GM and they're not getting along. So the GM is adding players and the coach just as a way to give a middle finger to the GM isn't using the players that has a real potential for happening. If you try to put guardrails on Bill Belichick, he accepts those guardrails to get the job. And then once he's there, He spends his time banging against the guardrails until they break. Bingo. That's the real concern, I think. That's the concern. Yeah,
0: And and Mike, how about what happened with with Mac Jones? There are a lot of reports, rumors, and and again, I don't want to necessarily make those my stock in trade, that Bill Belichick was not happy last year. When Mac Jones sought some outside help with things like mechanics while he was being coached by two, by a defensive coach and a special teams coach. Look, at the beginning of the year last year, I didn't think that was a big deal. This was in the off season, entering 2022. I didn't think it was, a, it was a, it, that big a deal. Boy, was I wrong. It was a terrible idea, a dumb idea. Every quarterback needs to have somebody. You know, I was talking to Brian Callahan yesterday, the new coach of the, uh, of the Tennessee Titans. And I hadn't really talked or been with Brian Callahan since he coached Peyton Manning in Denver, even though coached, you know, Peyton Manning coaches the coaches. But that's one of the things that we talked about. And he talked about how, you know, every player needs a coach. Peyton Manning said to this lowly at the time in, I think, 2014 or 2013, I forget, this lowly position coach, I need you. I need you to study blitzes. I need you to look at such and such and such and such. And so every week, Brian Callahan would go do this, and he would he would bring the results to Manning, and Manning was good. He would bring that into practice. And that taught Brian Callahan a lot. Every player needs to be Coached, and that is why to me it's absurd to put guys who've never coached quarterbacks with the future of your franchise. It's a dumb idea, and that was the imperiousness of Bill Belichick. All oh, these guys can do it. How hard can it be? Well, they couldn't do it, and they they basically led that led in part in part to the ruination of the future quarterback of the New England Patriots, and now probably. They got to spend the third pick in the draft on a quarterback because Mac Jones is ruined, but be all that as it may. There's a lot in my opinion, if I were a team that I would have to get absolutely totally 100% straightened out with Bill Belichick
1: before I'd hire him. I think the bottom line is you have to be prepared to throw him into the car and let him drive it the way that he drove it in new England that the The narrative that became generally accepted as it was coming to an end for Belichick with the Patriots is, oh, yes, he'll be a coach somewhere. You just have to figure out how to properly configure the organization around him. I think the inescapable conclusion is there's no proper way to configure the organization around him. He is a force of nature who will, over time, try to take over, maybe successfully take over. It's not malicious. He thinks he's doing it in the best interest of the team. He thinks his ways are the right ways. This is the way to do it. I'm doing it my way. I don't care that somebody else has final say. I don't care that somebody else has power over this, that, or the other thing. I've done it for 20 years. I've won six Super Bowls. I know what I'm doing. And that hubris was on display last March at the league meeting. Somebody pointed this out to me last night. He was asked the question at the breakfast that nobody ever really eats breakfast at. What would you say to fans to be optimistic for what's ahead for the Patriots? This was in March, before the disastrous 2023 season. His response, the last 25 years. Well... This past year was nothing like the last 25 years. So I'm just going to keep doing it the way I've always done it, doesn't work for Bill Belichick. He has to be willing to change his ways, and I'm not sure that there's a team out there that's willing to trust he ultimately will. And that brings me back to Atlanta, Peter. The Rich McKay dynamic, I think, was significant here because. I believe that when Bill Belichick met one-on-one with Arthur Blank for his first interview, Bill Belichick made it clear, I don't want Rich McKay anywhere near football operations. I don't want him to have anything. I don't want to have to deal with him. I don't want to have to report to him. I don't want to have to talk to him. I don't want to have to see him. I don't want to have to listen to him. They've not seen eye to eye on many issues regarding rule changes over the years with Belichick kind of, you know, firing his opinions from the side and McKay trying to steer the competition committee. That wasn't going to work. And not that, Blank would have had to fire Rich McKay, but he would have had to completely and totally neutralize Rich McKay if he was going to get Bill Belichick. And I had somebody who has knowledge of the dynamics of the organization tell me yesterday initially, Blank wanted to hire Belichick. Now, I don't know if Blank changed his mind, but this was, I think, kind of a almost Shakespearean fight that we're not going to know the details of, where McKay, the ultimate survivor, he's been there 20 plus years. He's never accountable with the GM and the coach when things go poorly, and he's moved and he's shifted and he's changed into different roles, and now they're making a cosmetic change to his duties to make it look like he's not really in football operations, although he still will be if he wants to be, I think, the way that it was announced last night. But McKay versus Belichick, the potential for that going forward was one of the reasons why Blank pivoted away from Belichick, perhaps at the urging of McKay, because McKay would have been frozen out completely and entirely of football operations if Belichick had gotten that job. Well, I had it
0: explained to me this way by someone who is familiar with competition committee workings. And, and that is this. And, and Bill Belichick, whenever he speaks... People are going to listen. And as someone with good knowledge of how the competition committee works, told me that Rich McKay basically is a pragmatist. As this person said to me, look, Rich McKay knew that for three or four years, they had to do something about the extra point. Had to. It was a joke, 99.6% efficient or whatever the figures were. It was ridiculous. It was a non-meaningful football play. So they moved it back uh, to the 15-yard line, and now it becomes a 33-yard field goal. It probably, whatever, 92% of the time it's going to work, but it's not a gimme, right? So, so he, But he knew that something had to be done. But rather than go in there and pound the table and fight the fight, and Roger Goodell knew something had to be done, he just said, well, okay, I know we have to let people come to that conclusion. We have to let everybody blow out their opinions on this, and we're not going to do it this year, probably not going to do it next year. And he just read the room. He read teams. He understood, and Roger Goodell understands that he can come in And remember last year, Mike, where Roger Goodell did not want to, at the league meeting in Arizona, he did not want to force owners to vote yay or nay on making the Thursday night football game a flex game for part of the season. Remember that? So he pushed it off. Yeah, because he would have lost then. Because, yeah, he didn't have the votes. He didn't have the votes at that time. So he needed to twist a few arms... And it ended up passing, whatever, two months later. I only bring that up because Rich McKay in his years on the competition committee has heard a lot of things from Bill Belichick. Like, for instance, we should. this is something I support a lot. And Rich McKay, I, I don't know whether he supported it or not, but Bill Belichick, remember this was five, six, seven years ago, he said, let's allow every play to be instant replay reviewable. Let's allow coaches, they can still only have two challenge flags, or two, only, two challenges per game, right? But let's allow them to challenge any play they want. They think something was obviously an offensive hold that wasn't called, throw the flag. You know, so all, all of that, and Rich McKay knew that that was never going to pass in a million years because so many people in the league, so many traditionalists, and even some of the new people hated replay anyway. So there's no way they were going to vote for that kind of expansion. Is that did that come between them? Might have. I don't know. But all I all I can say is that I think if Bill Belichick felt that Rich McKay was an obstructionist on some rules, I believe the word is not obstructionist. I believe the word is pragmatist because I think McKay knew the membership. And even though Bill had some good ideas, he also had some ideas where he was the nutty professor. So I, that's why, to me, anytime time you were in a position of authority, you were going to piss off people. And I assume that some of the stands that Rich McKay took were stands that did not make Bill Belichick happy. Now, I don't know what happened in the course of this thing. And I don't know that he said to Arthur Blank, I don't want to be three three miles any closer than any whatever. I don't want to be anywhere near Rich McKay. But I do know that it's clear that if there's somebody in a position of authority in something that Bill Belichick likes and they take opposite opinions, then that could definitely rub Belichick the wrong way.
1: Well, and I think it's just indicative of how the relationship would go if he has to answer to Rich McKay. Up until last night, the coach and the GM reported directly to Rich McKay. That has now changed. Again, I believe the changes that were made to Rich McKay's title and duties, largely cosmetic and spurred by... I believe McKay's sensitivity to the criticism that has emerged in the past couple of weeks about his role in football operations and how someone like Belichick would have bristled at having to answer to McKay about anything. McKay out if you want me in. And McKay ultimately wins, even though last night looks like, when you look at it on the surface, it looks like he's lost some authority. When you really understand what he was doing, what he's been doing, what he will be doing, it's no different. It's a distinction without a difference, and McKay survives again, as he has for more than 21 years. And this is great work if you can get it, Peter, and a lot of teams have this person who's in a spot where, when things go well, I'm part of why things are going well. When things go poorly, hey, it's not me, I'm not in football operations, and so you don't get fired when the coach and or the GM go out the door. So, so, we had eight departures this year, six of them now filled two left for now. Shefty was on ESPN yesterday morning. I saw this article last night speculating about the possibility of Andy Reid retiring. Now, I heard a couple of weeks ago, the Chiefs at least have on their radar screen the possibility that he will call it quits after this year. I have no reason to think he will or won't. I do believe and I do know the Chiefs are at least preparing for the possibility of it happening. Schefter's point was Belichick could just wait to see what happens with the Chiefs and maybe the Chiefs would hire him to come work with Patrick Mahomes and that may have some appeal on the surface. Although I think the players the players possibly if not likely including Mahomes would make a big push for Eric Enemy to come back and be the head coach regardless. It doesn't matter unless Andy Reid retires and their final game of the season very well could be on Sunday. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not this potential additional vacancy for Belichick will come to be.
0: I don't think Andy Reid's going to retire. Uh, I think there are a few reasons why, but Mike, it could change absolutely unequivocally. I'm not saying that he won't retire. I'm saying I don't think he will retire. And let me give you two or two or three reasons. So last Sunday after the game, I and and I've been fortunate enough after several games to go into Andy Reid's office and sit with him while he takes a few deep breaths and prepares to uh, get dressed so that he can get on the bus and go to the plane and go home. Andy Reid was in no rush last Sunday. I was in that room for 15 minutes and at one point he took out a, a notebook and it was a journal and I looked at it and, and he showed it to me. He showed me, he said, I, I wrote in my journal today about this game and he basically wrote about uh, what he thought was going to happen in this game. And Mike, When I say that it looked like Andy Reid was a professor of penmanship uh, somewhere, this, in red rollerball, was absolutely beautiful cursive, thoughtful, time-consuming, small writing, but page after page after page. And he does this. He said, "I, I do it, I think he said, I do it either every day or almost every day. And it's just something he said, I've done it since eleventh grade. Andy Reid is still absolutely loving what he's doing. At one point, Matt Nagy came in and and hugged him around the neck and said something to him. And you could tell that it was sort of an emotional moment that they're so happy that he all I'm saying is look, this guy's sixty-five. I'm sixty-six. You never know what you're going to do at the end of a season. Maybe you walk away. You just don't know. But what I can say about Reed is that he loves this job. I don't believe he's tired at all. And Mike, when I say I sat with him for 15 minutes, he was savoring the 282nd victory of his career, and he did not want to go anywhere. And that is why... When I look at him, and deep down, and I talk to him quite often, I have not heard this from him at all. Again, I'm not saying it won't happen. If you ask me what my belief is, I don't think he's going to retire.
1: You know, the most important takeaway I have for what you just told me when you were talking about the beautiful penmanship of Andy Reid, you reminded me of Uncle Leo praising the penmanship of a young Jerry Seinfeld once upon a time. He had a great penmanship. Didn't I always compliment you on your penmanship? Um, Well, it's an interesting insight and we'll see what happens. And, you know, one of the things I heard a couple of weeks ago when there was this churn about what Mike Tomlin's going to do, and it's a very important point. A lot of times during a football season, people feel worn down. And they will say things like, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. And then the season ends and you're like, what the hell else am I going to do? And you're you're instantly recommitted to everything that you complained about for the last two months. So uh, good stuff on Andy Reid. And if that's the case, then Commanders, Seahawks, the last two openings, Bill Belichick not likely to get one, which is why the odds now for Bill Belichick's destination... 2024 week 1 they have fallen all the way to minus 2000 not the head coach of any NFL team for Bill Belichick in 2024 so it's almost off the board i'm surprised it's even still on the board at this point because that looks like where it is going and and by the way before we break before we break and i remember Jack LaLanne vividly black and white on tv when i was a kid getting ready for school back in the early 70s he had that that jumpsuit, that onesie that he would do jumping jacks in. We do have a picture. There he is. There he Jack is. Jack Valane. And, and by the way, by the way, fitness works. He died January 23, 2011 at 96. So all those barbells and jumping jacks at a time when people were just, you know, eating Slim Jims and smoking cigarettes one after another, Jack Valane proved that if you pay attention to your health, Peter, you can make it deep into your 90s. Mike, I
0: remember looking up. I'm a huge fan of the old Perry Mason show. And I remember looking up. This was a couple of years ago. I looked up all the people on that show. They're all dead in their 50s. And you wonder, you wonder, Paul Drake, the detective, Hamilton Berger, the district attorney. You know, all these people, you know, they're dead at 53, at 54. And they smoke throughout the show. You know, they're smoking on TV. They're smoking in the episodes. And I just said to myself, man, it's amazing. And I remember, I mean, this is is probably the furthest afield thing I have ever said on Mike Florio's show. And here it comes. When I was a young child and I had a doctor in my little town in Enfield, Connecticut, he would come in. I'd be six, seven, eight years old. He would come in with a cigarette dangling from his lips and just smoke throughout my whole exam. And I just thought to myself, how in the world could these idiots not know? But they didn't know, evidently. Or they didn't want to know.
1: And it is amazing when you look at people, photographs from the 60s and the 70s, and you see how old they were. It really is amazing. And I think... Non-stop nicotine was a lot of it. Nonstop highballs, a lot of it as well. They drank all night. Yeah. They smoked all day. They smoked all night. They smoked in their sleep. I used to hear about people starting fires because they fell asleep with a lit cigarette. That used to be a thing on a fairly regular basis. How did the fire start? Fell asleep with a lit cigarette. Are you kidding me? You can't, even, you can't even not light a cigarette as you're falling asleep. That's how badly you are in the, the clutches Of the uh, active ingredient in the tobacco, the nicotine. Anyway, we need to take a break. Uh, And before we do, don't forget, on DraftKings Sportsbook, this NFL playoffs, new customers can bet $5 in pocket, $200 in bonus bets instantly, plus all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLive when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. And and also, please bet responsibly. When we return, time to take a look at the AFC Championship. We'll do that next on PFTLive.